Welcome to another edition of the Bond Daft Podcast. Stephen Barry here, joined remotely again with my fellow Bond aficionados, Gordon Webster. Good evening, Mr. Barry. Good evening as well. Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. And Steve McCall. Does anyone know what day of the week it is? Because I don't. No, uh, I think it's Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah, it's probably a Wednesday. It feels like a Wednesday. It feels like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or a Friday. <laughs> actually, actually, it's Sunday. But yeah, it's like a are... post-apocalyptic movie, right? We, we now they sometimes have the picture of them marking the calendar on the wall. We'd be marking the passage of time simply by when we were doing the podcast. But like that's another yeah. week gone by. That's another. That one. The... I'm just renaming today podcast day. Sunday is now. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. It actually is the only thing that I have done for the last three weeks on a routine. This is the only thing that I've had going in my life. That is, We're keeping stuff. each other sane. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah Time's flown by as I need well, you man. guys. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it is weird uh, following up that. How, how are we all doing? Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. See, I mean, I've had a relatively normal week and I'm obviously still going back and forth to work. Um, but it being really quiet is still, I'm still getting used to that. I'm still getting used to only being allowed to go out for one walk a day. I'm still getting used to having to queue outside the supermarket. It's like, it's back, it's like back when I was a student, you have to queue to get into a nightclub and you have to get past yeah. the bouncers. That's what going to Tesco is now. <laughs> yeah, it's not really a fun queue. It's not really like, uh, the end destination isn't quite as exhilarating as a nightclub. I'm not really as drunk as I was, no. It's only oh. slightly my due, but <laughs> that's what isolation does. Yeah. All right, then. Fran, how are you doing? All right, I guess. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, we obviously had a wee chat prior to the, the actual cast about the, the psychological ups and downs of... of and you've also anything. been doing it longer as well. For yeah. This, that's your fourth week. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... It, for me, it's all about the perspective. Like, I think... You know, have a few drinks, watch films, you know, do whatever you want to do. But, like, the biggest problem, I think, with being isolated is letting things play in your mind. I reckon that's the biggest challenge because um, we all know that the, the, sometimes you can't get to sleep at night if you're lying thinking about things because it's quiet and nothing else is going on. And it's a bit like that permanently just now with this lockdown. We're all kind of just in limbo. So I think, you know, for everybody out there, that would be anything, that would be the thing I would say is, Whatever, if you've got something playing on your mind, whatever it may be, you've got to try and find ways to, other alternative ways to distract yourself from it. Yep, I agree, which is why the Bondaf podcast, if you, uh, you know, want to listen to that, that'll keep you going for the odd wee while. There's a backlog of episodes as well. Gordon, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Been um, <laughs> watching plenty of movies. Checking out some of the the Bond alumni. The other day, I was watching the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo with uh, Daniel Craig, and yeah, um, I've actually seen that film. I think it is good. Yeah, I hear it's pretty good. I really enjoyed it. It was it was long, very atmospheric. I saw. I think I told you. Oh no, that was last weekend. So like you, I'm losing track of time. Last no, that was this weekend. Last weekend, I saw Glorious Bastards, which. More Bond alumni, we have um, Christoph Waltz, a memorable <laughs> performance from him. Yeah. Uh, watched Ghostbusters, a couple, just some real classic movies, keep myself sane with that. Um, just trying to do a bit of exercise, driving, you know, still uh, my, my car is relatively new, so try, trying to do 
things that we can do and make the most of a, a difficult situation. But all, all's good. Very good. That's a, a good way to do it. Uh, oh, you just reminded me. I need to get my. I need to go into my car and drive it just because it's been sitting for three weeks and it can't be good for it. Um, I had a, a question for Gordon actually, real quick. Um, have you ever watched a film called The Rock with Sean Connery? Yeah, I I think I um I've seen that loads of times. Yeah, uh, The Rock is a nineties classic. Did, did yeah, anybody, I really yeah, love that film. Did anybody think that they were kind of hinting that that was Connery's Bond? And that was why, like, Bond had changed, like, from Connery to um, the next, well, whoever it was next. Like, this whole, they, they were mentioning he was, like, working, like, he had no name, or he was, like, an invisible person. He was captured spying, and yeah. all sorts of stuff. John Patrick Mason. Yeah. He was imprisoned for, what, like, 20 years or something like that. And they, they get him out of jail to help with a hostage situation. Alcatraz, Ed Harris, been the, the, memorable villain in that one yeah I, I really love the rocket yeah he did kind of i did think many times watching it that he's kind of like maybe how bond might have been at that age but he's just he's got bags of attitude in that film connery i think it's a, it's a great performance from the older connery and he, he had so many great performances laterally in his career yeah 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 I, I need to revisit that film it's been a long time since i've seen that film uh, I wonder. I'm hoping. I hope it holds up. I take it. Have you, nobody's actually watched it recently. I was about to say, Gordon, have you watched it? Was Fran that brought it up? I just read about it because I, I, I was looking at different Bond things. I've been finding myself thinking. Obviously, we've watched so many Bond films now. I'm kind of look, looking at more things around the periphery of Bond, and there was this whole thing about fan theories about the clues that the script had about Connery's character in that movie and. How his particular line that he says that references one of the coronary films and things like that. Just interesting little Easter egg type things. Cool. Yeah, uh, I would recommend I think, that. Uh, what, what I've watched recently, uh, last night, was Disney Plus. We've just subscribed to that. And we watched Pinocchio. Uh, so that was getting the, the old Disney classics out. And it's good seeing that in HD, I've got to tell you. Like the art and the the actual animations and stuff like that are fantastic. Um, it, I, you know, it's, it was really fun to watch it again. I actually was laughing at quite a lot of it, especially in the first half. Other than that, we watched, uh, we're continuing with the MCU films, I'm showing and the Marvel films, and we watched Thor 2 last night, which is actually, it's an okay film, it's fine. Good action romp. It's not, uh, not anywhere near their best, but it's decent. CGI fest. So it's completely different from your Bond <laughs> films. Um, so, yeah. Well, I tried yeah. to watch... Remember, Fran, you showed me a clip from The Boys from Brazil. I oh, Sky yeah. Plus'd it, and I left it for almost two months, and I just realised the other night when I tried to watch it, that was, I think, the stormiest night of the year, and, I heard, and the picture kept breaking up, and I... I got it about halfway through and it just clearly wasn't getting any better. It was such a disappointment because I was really starting to enjoy the film. Uh, it's got, so it's got um, Walter Gattel, remember, is, who's General Gogol. It's got a young Steve yeah. Gutenberg as well, which is kind of interesting. But it's a very, it's actually quite a dark film. We'll see the the, the scene with, with Gattel as, uh, did you see the bit where he's in the, the big banquet? And, oh, I didn't get that far, oh. yeah, but I remember you showed me the clip. Oh yeah, that's got down as one of my favourite scenes ever in any movie. Just I'm noticing favorite. something, Gordon. Do you only watch films uh, with the alumni of Bond? <laughs> <Are> you, 
you were going to say that. <laughs> Does this have a bond in it? No, it's going to be shit. Yeah. Honestly, no. Honestly, no. I just stumble across um, these because there's so many actors that have been in the Bond series and they just crop up in small parts. So that's what happens. It must be somehow I'm like, I'm, they draw, I'm a magnet to those films or those films are like a magnet to me. Um, no, but it's, seriously, no, it's not something I look for. Sometimes it's a case of, do you want to watch something that, a film you really love, but you've seen it so many times, it's not a novelty, or do you want to see something new? But then not knowing, if you've not seen the trailer, not knowing what the film is like at all, going in cold. So I, I like to mix it up a bit. Sometimes I'll watch an old classic, like a Bond film. Sometimes I'll watch something completely new. It's... To me, that's probably the best way to be a, a movie lover these days. Yeah, exactly. I mean, although there isn't a lot coming out that's new, it's mostly there's the odd thing on Disney, but uh, and Netflix, but there's uh, it's more this is your time to catch up on all the classics. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been good fun actually. Um, okay, uh, now that we've checked in, we're all good. I, I think we should introduce the fact that we are here for a Bond film <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah. that Bond. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting later and later as I'm introducing the fact that we're in the film. We're about ten minutes yeah. into the podcast. You mean we're uh, not still doing the test just now? Have you started <laughs> recording already? Yeah, yeah. We've been recording. We are here for Bond, fourteenth uh, Bond film. Uh, yes, I think it is fourteenth. Uh, James Bond, and it's uh, a view to a kill. Roger Moore's final Bond film, and he's only about sixty-eight in this one. Um, no, it's uh, he's I think he's fifty eight at the time of filming I think, and the critics did say at the time this is the film where he really probably should have he should should have probably been recast I think a lot of the critics agreed this is the the one where his age really caught up with him. Uh, this of course was released in nineteen eighty five, so we're right in the, the mid eighties now. We've got Duran Duran as the the theme. We've got Christopher Walken as your villain. And Grace Jones as uh, Bond girl, I suppose, villainess. I'm not sure. So this is a this is a this is a film I've I've seen a couple of times growing up. I, I, it's been a while, certainly. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. I love Christopher Walken. Can't wait to see him in a villain role. What's your uh, Fran? You've seen this one as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I, I want to get in there. I, I just want yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not. I I, I I'll leave the basic rundown of the plot and all that. Gordon, because he'll be able to do it better than me. But um, uh, it's it's all in the eyes with Roger Moore in this film. Pay close attention to Roger Moore's eyes and how his eyes look. There's something strange about his eyes. He looks kind of googly-eyed or almost surprised a lot of the time, and, and that's I think that's his age. Like he's he, you know he's that's how he's changed slightly. Like it just makes such a difference to him. Um, he he seems. I mean, in the last film, he seemed kind of implausibly old to be bedding some of the, the women that he was with. But in this one, it, it, it's almost like the movie knows it and makes it into a bit of a joke at certain points. It's, it's weird. Um, but the film still has a charm. To it. I, there's a, still a, a sort of a charm to the, the film. Um, but there... There's a number of moments I can't say. Like, I can't say what they are. Yeah, yeah we're not going into spoilers. Just your general, yeah. yeah. Just thoughts. there's a few moments in the film that, like, I know whenever, like, I, I mean, I wouldn't say, like, I've watched it as much as Octopussy or Living Like Die. Like, they were the two ones I watched the most in Goldeneye and the later ones, obviously. But for Roger Murray, I would say there's a few 
But there's, I always judge Roger Moore on the amount of times so I kind of laugh at his one-liners and things like that. There's a few good okay. ones in this. There's a few good moments. Uh, Steve, you've not seen this one, I take it? I have never seen this. No, but I know by reputation, I'm actually really looking forward to this one. Obviously, Christopher Walken, Grace Jones. Um, it's one of the absolute classics, I think. So um, I'm probably looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. Gordon, you've obviously seen this only 2018 times. <laughs> Fair bit. Well, it's one that I did see from quite a young age, yeah. Taped off the old VHS back in the, what, like the, the Micro Machines era, the... Maybe when I started getting into Star Wars and stuff like that, it, it yeah, it's, it's a film that does draw me back. It does have a real charm to it. So Fran was right about that, and I noticed the I think quite a bit with Roger and you know the um, the still young ladies. And he, let's just say he's a field day in this one, but plot wise, <laughs> yeah. plot wise, um, it's really a, a another MI six agent, another double agent is found dead on a mission with a microchip in his pocket. And the uh, the microchip, it's an unusual type of microchip from what I remember, it, whereas I think it's, it is averse to mag- electromagnetic pulse or something like that. It's a very um, kind of top-of-the-range um, new technology. And it's thought by MI6 that... It, belongs to Max Zorin, who is the head of Zorin Industries, a multi-million pound business. Uh, he's a well-known entrepreneur. And like a lot of the, the Bond films in the past, MI6 like to keep tabs on the, the guys with bags of money who just seemingly become very rich and come out of nowhere. And, and Bond has essentially been a lot of the film investigating Zorin. Played by Z- yeah, Zorin, who's played by Christopher Walken. Looking forward to this. Um, yeah, we probably can go into the film now. I don't really feel there's much more to cover. This is obviously directed again, third film by John Glenn, who used to be the editor. Similar trajectory for the way in the beginning of the Bond films, Peter Hunt. Uh, John Glenn's uh, third film. I think he's going to do five. He's got two more after this. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see any sort of similarities to the last two films, if there is, if there is any. Um, yeah, okay. I think we can we can go and watch this film, guys. We will come back and go into spoiler-rific detail of A View to a Kill. Bye-bye. I'm going to give you one. No, actually, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. What? No, it's just something I'll, uh, I'll spring on you later. Is it Roger Moore impressions now, right? <laughs> I should have mentioned that. <laughs> I was prepared. I knew you would do that. I thought we would oh, get a really? reason one at the end of Our Majesties. Well, I didn't really feel that he had done enough to warrant yeah. it in the sense it's just one film like what were we impersonating Aye. a guy almost kind of impersonating Sean Connery in a sense we could, we could have maybe done his impersonation of that um, the voice the character he was doing the well I don't know what to say oh, oh yeah <laughs> but I feel a slight stiffness coming on. <laughs> yeah. A slight stiffness coming on, that's what he says. Yeah. Okay, guys, we are back after having watched A View to a Kill, Roger Moore's final icing as 007. Um I I like this film. How do you how do you guys feel about it? Uh let's get the feelings around the room or around your rooms. Gordon, what was your, your uh impression from watching this? 
I liked it as well, mate. This uh, film gets quite a bit of flack. And sometimes maybe some folk need to look beyond Moore's age because there's some great stuff in there. What a climax sequence at the end, the, the Golden Gate Bridge, the tension of Bond hanging off just with the camera work made it look real as if you were actually there for some parts midway through or the like the third quarter of the film where there was a few detractors I was I was feeling what a great climax scene is at the mine as well with uh, and I loved um, Mady's character I loved the way she switched sides at the end and yeah sometimes I think people it was very obvious that um, Roger was 57, 58, uh, an aging Bond, which they didn't really play into that so much. I don't know if they could have, if they, they see, you know, obviously Tim Tim Dalton's character as a, a continuation, if they could have, but I know I did enjoy the film, and, and similar to Moonraker, for all the detractors that this film attracts, the first third in particular, where he's doing a lot of stealthy undercover work, I enjoyed that in particular, and I I really loved Christopher Walken in this film, similar to how we all equal. I'm sure we're all going to equally agree in that. I'm sure of it. The same as we all really loved Christopher Lee's performance in the Man the Golden Gun, another real top villain. Yeah, Fran, what was your um, uh, impression watching this again? Well, I think it's 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 a very. I mean, it's a solid film, really. I mean, it's it's got quite a tight plot to it. Um, with a lot of amusing little bits here and there that you know on the group chat they were get, kind of getting pointed out as we were going along. You know, there's there's very kind of clear moments where it goes a little bit over the edge, like that. But you had the skiing introduction, it was that which was actually quite good on the whole. But then there's maybe a questionable musical choice where it slips into sort of silliness halfway through, and then. You kind of got where he ends up in that ridiculous submarine made out of an iceberg, shaped like an iceberg kind of thing. It's got a bed in it and vodka and caviar and all this nonsense, which is, you know, it's, it's amusement, but at the same time, it's kind of like there could be too much of it. It just goes over that that line of, I suppose, like how you felt about the police officer in the previous ones, Pepper. You know, it, it kind of goes a wee bit too too far. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked it. I particularly enjoyed. I liked the bit when the, there was the the, ho- the horse racing was going on, and the staff were all taking like Zorin's staff at this particular place were all taking part in this elaborate scheme to 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 make the ride more difficult for everybody except Zorin. because <laughs> you know it, it, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, imagine you were hired to be like a stable worker or something in some place and your your expertise is with horses and maintaining racetracks and then suddenly you're you're given this equipment to increase the size of the hedge <laughs> at a particular moment, you know. Right, press the button after Zorin goes over, you know. Um just that kind of thing. Um I liked Tibbet. I like that that this was this character, the uh, MI6 agent, older guy who was paired with Bond. I think it was quite clever to pair an older guy with Roger Moore. I think that made sense. Again, what Gordon said, the ending was fantastic. I think um, we saw probably the most kind of badass female character in all of Bond so far, I think, in terms of like badassery and just turning it around in the end. and Yeah, just absolute fantastic moment. Yep. Um, and, and the last bit I'll say is I, uh, 
my favourite bit in the film is the bit where Bond is in the bed waiting for Mayday because it's just so ridiculous. It's just so 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 absurd, and it and it looks absurd. And in, in the I like the fact the film knew it. Okay, uh, Steve, first thoughts, I suppose, first take on this film. Uh, I love this. I think Fran's nailed it in the storyline. Very very tight. Um, little bits of humor. There are parts where it made me laugh, but the actual storyline of this again, it's one of those ones. There are Bond films that we've watched where I've kind of got lost halfway through. Or I just haven't. There's bits where I've zoned out, or things have gone on for too long. That it was just, it was incredibly tight. Um, <clears throat> characters were mostly enjoyable. I thought the character of Stacy. I don't blame this on the actress. It's another one where I blame it more on the writing, but she was played too much of the kind of bimbo type character. Yeah. The bad guys were awesome. Um, Christopher Walken, Grace Dead, absolute stars of this, absolutely. Um, but then you've got folk like that police officer. I was. I thought, I feared for a sec that we're going to do another J.W. Pepper. They kind of held off, mm. but they got quite close to creating another character like that. Um, and yeah, that ending was, I mean, there was some, that scene on the Golden Gate Bridge, there was proper peril there. Um, and it, it had me on the edge of my seat. Um, so that was exceptionally well done. Um, and also another shout, I suppose, to the, I didn't, I thought I wasn't going to like the music in this film, because I know that it was Duran Duran that did the theme song, for example, that particular 80s style, I'm not a particular fan of, but what, um, it was John Barry, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, yeah, he what John Barry it. did with the theme, with the motif throughout the film, I thought was genius in parts. His, his soundtracks just, they blend in so nicely to the background of the film, you almost don't notice them, which is a skill in itself, but when you do notice them, you notice just how well composed and how nice they are and how well they match the rest of the film. Um, yep. The exception, obviously, being the Beach Boys, which I'm sure we'll cover. But yes. um, there were particular. I think there were points at the start where it felt a little... It kind of obviously harks back to other films, but you kind of start there thinking, they've done this before. You know, the skiing in the preamble, I was sitting there thinking, we've done skiing before. In fact, we've done it twice before. Um, Mayday, Diving Off the Eiffel Tower... And then having the the parachute come out was pretty much identical to Bond in the last one we watched. So there are points where I was going, I know this is cool, but I've already seen it. Kind of give it a rest. But for the most part, it was spectacular, actually, as a film. It looked great. Cena Clay, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and and the film had, a again, it was similar in a way to For Your Eyes Only, where I said the stunts and the sort of the, the, the pace of the film felt like it was in it that sort of classic American action film of the, starting to happen around the 80s. This one even just as much so. Um, it felt like Die Hard at points, especially with all the, the police chase scene. I mean, some of that was nonsensical when there was points where I felt maybe they could have reined in a bit. Um, some of the, the, the craziness of the car scene stuff and these bonds hanging off like a a fire engine um, ladder. And <laughs> like, it was, it was cartoonish. It was silly. But yeah, uh, we'll come to that. But overall, uh, it worked. I, I just had a lot of fun with this film. And I think this film, more than any other film, they were having fun with it. The villains particularly, Max Zorin, I think, is a fantastic villain. We'll come, We'll talk about so it in good. much more detail when we get to it, when we really 
dissect the performance of um, Christopher Walken, but from the off, I knew we were going to enjoy this his his performance, and I certainly did. Uh, he he was really loving it, and and I think um, uh, Grace Jones as the the villain uh, was great as the sort of the main the hench woman henchman. Um, and you know she had an interesting look and and character and i think it all meshed really well with with Zorin and it's just yeah so much fun with it right okay so overall i feel like we like the film there's definitely some things to nitpick here and there but overall i would say it pleasantly surprised us maybe slightly more than we even expected let's uh, let's take it from the start Steve, you mostly covered it in your kind of summary uh, that the skiing um, was the beginning. In fact, the very first thing that I, I did notice there was a disclaimer at the start of the film: Max Zorin is is, is not is not based on anything, another ca- character or a business or whatever it was. I'm guessing there was some sort of illegal reason for that. There was a ca- there must have been a person who's got a similar name or something. Did anyone else? I notice that? There was saw a, that. It was yeah, just a I noticed that. Startup. It might just maybe it's just on the sort of official DVD, but the well, right. there was a real. Have, you guys not have that? Um, I may have done. I didn't spot it. I thought it, about I, I was watching I from the start. Um, yeah, it, it must have been based on something because there's that there's Zorin is is not a made up name, you know. So there must have been some company or something, but I can't find anything. Yeah. About it legally, but. But yeah, do you know it's funny because my paranoia from watching the wrong Bond films all the time and all this stuff that I've been doing, I've seen clips of the wrong Bond movies at the end of other Bond movies. <laughs> when I saw the skiing bit at the start, I doubted myself for a moment. I was thinking, is this? Why am I? Why am I so familiar with this again? And I was thinking, I kept having to like look at the file name and make sure it was a view to a kill, but it was it was familiar. But I liked the, um, yeah, I like I liked the opening. I, I, but it did feel. It did feel familiar. It felt familiar. Like I liked it as well. Opening first shot. Um, was it Siberia? Where was it? Alaska or yeah. something? Siberia. Siberia. I mean, yeah. again, yeah, interesting setting somewhere again that they've not done before. But the the actual act, the skiing section, did feel a little. Yeah, we've seen this. It's a shame. I, mean, I don't know what they could have done if there was something else they could have maybe done to change that up a bit. It wasn't long, at least, but yeah, it definitely felt. A little familiar. It's um, a bit of a shame because it's because I don't know. The, see if they just didn't have that stupid Beach Boys bit. The music in that whole section was great and would have been the best bit about it. Yep. Basically, because the Let's music get, made it yeah. seem really like it, it, like it felt dramatic. Do you know what I mean? It felt like like if you were playing a game, a James Bond game, and that was the music that was on, and you were skating, you know, you were skiing it, trying to get away. It would seem really, you know, it, it just had a real kind of edge to it. I don't know what they were thinking with that. I mean, it totally undercut any apparel or any any tension in that whole scene. You know, yeah. having this sort yeah. of com- comedy jaunty tune play, uh, f- just for what thirty seconds, and then back to the normal. I mean, what was that? It's like they didn't have the commit commitment to go with the full gag of this silly tune. It was just like we'll throw it out there, but we'll bring it back in because we're not sure if it's going to work. It was weird. Yeah, and there was. Uh, it'll have given Brian Wilson some uh, royalties. Maybe he had a say in it somewhere. Yeah, I wonder if, if there was uh, a political reason behind that or something. You know, yeah. But and there was some incredible like... shots there as well. Like the, the, this of the 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 Arctic, some great distant helicopter shots, some pretty decent model work and special effects. But another slight detractor about that scene is just that 
the the villains seem a little bit inept, like missing Bond at close range with a gun, and then <laughs> he seems to have the ability to skate or snowboard down slopes, but they just fall into a big blah, you know. Um, he seems to make light work of the the henchmen, but it was uh, yeah, incredible um, shooting, and uh, they they made it look real in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean that it's the thing about villains not being able to kill Bond. We've seen that so many times now, where it's almost like they're so inept that they they almost really want them to survive. Yeah, the bit they were just behind right. Bond, they were just falling like dominoes. It reminded me of the rooftop. Remember in the docks, and you only lived twice when we said he became a bit like Superman. It it was like that just for about half a minute. Yeah, yeah, it was a strange opening, and it was a kind of you had mixed feelings about it because I was pumped, I was looking forward to the scene was enjoying it the action although familiar was still pretty cool music was flowing and then that change up kind of kind of took it took it down a bit it's then yeah. fed into obviously bonds then got his uh ice, spy was iceberg by iceberg yeah um ice submarine ice submarine with of course the union jack you have to have the union jack uh has to be there somewhere yeah exactly so that you know that was it was kind of funny i got it i mean nonsense cartoonish again but it was setting up the, the film's tone really again or, or just moore's you know bond's tone at this point that this was it didn't even need set up that's just what you come to expect i suppose it i didn't really into- enjoy um like see how sorry the bond showed up got what was required like i think he presumably was there to find 003's body and he recovered a microchip and he also, he just, you know, he made sure that he also came by with the best beluga and the best, I think it was Bollinger or, or uh, um, Sham. It was vodka. So, yeah, vodka, sorry. Yeah. And, um, you know, that is that was quite bonding. I, I really liked that. When we, although I'm not the biggest critic of of Moore and, you know, his, his ageing um, character, he looked so old that more than any other moment when um, the girl um, says, I'll get the glasses, and he leans over to pull the switch to get her to kind of accidentally fall into the bed. And he just does this kind of smirk and just moves his head so slowly. It just it reminds me of my grandpa or something. The way it's just the way he turned. It, it just uh, it was. Yeah. He did even since Octopussy. Um, I think even in that two years, I, I think Roger looks as if he has aged a fair bit. And like Fran was saying, like you kind of notice in his eyes more than anything. Yeah, yeah, what was going on there? We were trying to decipher in the chat, really, uh, during the film. Like, has he had some work done? Do you think? I think. I think you're right about the eyes. I think he's. It's like um, those collagen filler things that you get. I wonder if it's some kind of facial lift. Yeah, um, like I think eighties was kind of the. Yes, exactly, and I think it was a period. It was a time for it. The eighties, I think, was when all the sort of cosmetic surgery boom kind of started to kick off. So he's he's had some work done. Yeah, because uh, he, he, it didn't bother me too much, but there was a couple of moments where I was like, wow, that was some wide-eyed, kind of weird-looking Roger Moore there. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was distracting a little, uh, certainly from the scenes. I don't know if it's also because he looks like he's more bronzed than usual, maybe? Like he was maybe a bit more... I don't know if I'm just looking into it now, but he looked like he had he'd been to a sunbed or something, and, and then it 
sort of the bright blue of his eyes and the wide-eyed looking that just <laughs> kind of contrasted a little. And he seemed a bit, his kind of longer hair, kind of wispier looking hair made him look as if he was, you know, getting towards the, the pensioner age. Yeah, it was a bit thinner than usual, I suppose. You know, I feel bad we're ragging on a, a 58-year-old man. Um, <laughs> he certainly actually, for a 58-year-old man, actually looks pretty good. It's just... And this, he can still the, move. He's, his actual yeah. performance, I don't think his age showed at all. He actually showed, let's talk about that. I feel like um, there was a couple of scenes where you could tell that he was trying to inject some serious kind of, not pathos is the word, but I don't know, like a sort of serious tone to some of his lines, especially around Max Zorin's character, where Max Zorin's kind of given it the villainous grin and sort of, you know, I can't remember what the, the exchange they have around the, in the car. When they finally admit to each other, essentially, when it's kind of made clear they're not playing up the facade of the sort of, uh, what's going on and it's it's made clear that Zoran's trying to kill him and uh, I think it's something like oh Mr Bond you amuse me and and, and it's the way Roger Moore delivers the line he just stares right at him you don't the feeling isn't mutual or something like that it kind of was a bit yes. yeah, yeah it was quite a quite a good dialogue exchange I think the chemistry between them was, was quite well established yeah definitely there's just great dialogue in this film in general and again it's not just Bond that's coming away with just the, sh- the sharp exchanges. Mm-hmm. The him and Sir Godfrey Tippett, you know, his, his MI six colleague, they <clears throat> kind of bounce off each other quite well. And uh, I a lot of Zorin's dialogues are great. Like when he's hanging off, when Bond's hanging off the mooring ropes of the the blimp at the end, and he says, "This will hurt him more than me," and stuff like that. So I really enjoyed a lot of the dialogues. It was well written. Yeah. I thought the screenplay was mostly fine. I'd say certainly around around uh, you know Max Zorin and 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 Mayday. Yeah, I enjoyed, and this is obviously uh, let's talk about things like Money Penny and Q. The sort of scenes with the minister, and uh, this is the last Money Penny. Oh. Well, not Money Penny scene. It's, well, it's her her last film, isn't it? I think yeah, so Lois for Maxwell. her. But we get um, Lois Maxwell. I think the minister and Gogol continue. Yeah. And maybe M mm-hmm. as well. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Brown, I think, appears for the, the Dalton films. Um, I know. Uh, Robert Brown, actually, but he's a bit kind of rougher around the edges. But yeah, I like him as M. I don't feel like he gets a lot in this film. He's I don't, He doesn't make the same impression to me as Bernard Lee did. He's maybe uh, a bit, a bit. He is a bit of a kind of friendlier, less stern yeah. appearance. Yeah, yeah. And I think Bond kind of it is better when you have that that one character that Bond just can't shake, like that sort of like they look down on Bond. You know, uh, I think it is better, which is why we'll get to her when she comes into it. But Judi Dench is perfectly cast in the in the in the Brosnan films. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll come back to that. Uh, so we, we've spoke about uh, the music. I think uh, Steve covered it. Uh, is there anything else you want to say more on Duran Duran and the the main title theme and the sort of title sequence as well? The eighties. I'm annoyed at how much I liked it. It's I can't listening to it, particularly watching it with the the title sequence. It matches. It's not particularly jarring or anything like that. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of annoyed to admit that I actually quite like it because I'm not a Duran Duran fan. I don't particularly like their music or their style, but that is a tune. And I think it is because it was, according to the credits, composed by Duran Duran and John Barry. The fact that he had a 
he had a hand in it, I think is probably what gives it that kind of edge. Mm. Um, and the kind of the Bond, the essence sort of notes, if you like, of the Bond theme are all in there, but sort of in that kind of hard synth in the background. And it's annoying, but it's it's good. It's a tune. I can't deny that. Yeah, that is. That is yeah. The and, film was actually, uh, I, I was going to mention earlier in the podcast, there, it was like a lot of them, it was a completely new story. There was a short story called From a View to a Kill, and I've read it several years ago, quite low-key, not a lot happened in it, so I can see why it was rewritten. And this film was going to be called From a View to a Kill. You would, you might, the eagle-eyed might notice at the end of Octopus, it says, will return in From a View to a Kill. Uh, was uh, yeah. was was much taken from that story, or did they just take the name and change up most of the other stuff? I, it's so long since I read it. I think practically nothing. Yeah, practically okay. nothing. Do you know? I think this. Do you know the story? I think there's a lot of parallels in this film and the Goldfinger plot. But one just of the things, to say that. <laughs> oh, sorry. One of the things um, I'll leave maybe leave the Goldfinger similarities to you, Steve. Then, that's but okay, that's what, okay. what I feel. <laughs> what I feel Bond, the Bond universe does really well on screen is they, um, they shift gradually through the decades and they embrace the time period and technology because um, whereas Goldfinger was, you know, kind of hoarding gold um, with might with Zorin, it was more, it was technology, microchips, which were used in computers and wanting to dominate the market, basically to eliminate Silicon Valley, where all the computers were getting made in the mid-80s. So it was really timely. It, it fitted in well with that time period. And obviously, you know, John Barry's music was good, but I suppose his music maybe maybe evolved a bit as well. Um, a lot of things, they, I feel the Bond films, they do embrace the time that they're in, usually. And they, there's certain films you could say date are quite dated. You could even say, like, if you look at, you might want to be able to see more about this, Steve, but the Operation Grand Slam, Goldfinger's big gold um, Fort Knox plan, and this was Operation Main Strike, which was to flood Silicon Valley. So it's quite similar in a way to the way that a huge market was basically planned to be eliminated by this psycho villain, megalomaniac guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Sort of, sort of, would you call him a super capitalist? I mean, I mean what was he? It was obviously all about the money in the end, really. Um, no, he was almost like he was almost doing maybe in a weird way what the Soviets would have wanted because the Soviets wanted rid of Silicon Valley as well. But it was the way that he was doing it without authorization. He was kind of he was he was going off his own back and doing things. But that's the beauty of the way that Bond has kind of gone as we've gone through it. So you've We've gone from having kind of goodies and baddies. We've now got your bad guys, who in this case is, you've got Mayday, who's some kind of super fit, kind of lethal assassin type. You've got the doctor, the Nazi scientist doctor, with um, Zorin, the old guy, evil Q. And then you've got got Zorin. (laughs) Um, himself, so they're the bad guys. Then you've got Gogol and the KGB, who are kind of the grey area guys in the middle. And then you've got uh, MI6, Tibbet, and all them, and, and various folk. Um, uh, Stacy as well. There now, I would say that really the the villains in this film I think are great. 
I think they're the, one of the best sets of villains we've had in a long time, Mayday, Evil Q, and Zorin. Now, Zorin actually has one of my favourite villain moments of all time, actually, and I'll say it before I forget, which is where he reveals his, just, just the, the, the mania of a villain. As he's about to die, he just starts to laugh. And then he falls off the, the bridge. Right, as soon as he realises that he can't survive, lets out a laugh, and then like just at the absurdity of the situation. Um, yeah. I love, I love the fact that the doctor, the Nazi doctor, clearly cared about Zorin as well. Um, Mayday was willing to switch sides when she was spurned and, and betrayed by Zorin. Great. Um, Gogol and the KGB always loved them. And Cola as well. She was good. Because she was she hoodwinked Bond and then he hoodwinked her as well. Weakest character, as I think Steve has noted, and possibly others, Steve. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> one of us. Gordon as well, maybe. Is Stacey, who actually is the state geologist, so she's got a highly responsible position. She's she's you know, she's not an idiot by any means to be a state geologist for a whole state. Do you know what I mean? Like you're talking like that's a highly responsible position to be in. But she does come. We've had that before. Exceptionally high up in what should be clever people being played Uh for for idiocy um, by the scriptwriters. It's a weakness. Here's a question for you, Steve. Right. In fact, this is a question for everybody. See if you were stuck on top of the Golden Gate Bridge and you were trying to find a foothold, would you kick off your high heels first? Would I kick off my high heels? Oh, I don't know. I, mean, I love mine. I mean, that's the first thing um, I would do. See if I was a woman with high heels on. See, that's the writing there, and it's the shooting of it. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I would well, say that's, 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 that's the director at that point, actually. Everyone was wearing high heels. Mayday as well on the, the rig when she pulled up the, the Russian guy while Bond was hiding, did oh. so in high heels. Yeah. And again, Stacey did that entire movie in high heels. Uh-huh. It was... It was a completely impractical and odd choice. And what that was supposed to kind of signify, what the point of that was, I'm not sure. Oh, do you want to know another crazy thing? See, uh, even in recent years in Jurassic World. Oh, that's really bad. That is really bad, that one. Oh, that. But, like, uh, you know, it's just, I think that's lazy. Like, But, yeah, like, I think Stacey's, go back to the general point. I think Stacey's Apparently, Jurassic World is a woman outruns a T-Rex in high heels. Uh-huh. It's <laughs> ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, the first thing any sensible woman would do in a crisis is get the high heels off. But anyway, basically, Stacey's character, I think, was let down. That was the only character in the whole thing that I think really suffered badly. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, it was kind of going back to after the, the strong female leading characters of Melina and then the film after Octopussy herself, it was going back to the damsel in distress type. And after Holly Goodhead from Moonraker and then Anya and Spy Who Loved Me, it was going, it was basically going back to maybe like solitaire kind of thing. I think, um, and a part of it, it was always the constant screaming, the James, you know, in the, especially in the last <laughs> quarter that of it. It really grated, yeah. It, it does. I mean, it's it's one, apart from... Um, Moore's age, that's probably the second big, biggest sort of um, criticism that generally this film gets. But I mean, because you've you got to, you got to um, look at the positives. I mean, she, she is a good actress, thing, but just how the, the writing of the character, like you guys said. I think, though, it's, I like how, I mean, she, as the state geologist, she should have, you know, been 
better written. I think it's good though the way I mean Bond ultimately would only be able to stop Zorin. He was only able to stop Zorin because of her highlighting where the geological fault was, how that particular fault line would lead to like a, a double sort of a double um earthquake. And she knew exactly when, you know, where the fault lines were. She knew where to get the information. So she did play her part. And, you know, I don't think it was any, you could say Mary Goodnight and Golden Guns maybe, um, not written as well as that even. So I, I, there is I, positives yeah, about her. I agree, Gordon. Like, I, 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 get, I, I agree with you in that sense. I guess I think it's, the, it's variety is what we're craving at this point. I think we all kind of know that, you know, let, let's look at another film. So, um, look at the original Judge Dredd film, the first film that came out with St- Stallone, for example, where he's paired with a guy, and that guy's an incompetent civilian, basically, and it's like, he has to look after the... Judge Dredd has to look after this guy for the whole film who can't do anything, is scared all the time, and he's rescued. So we know that there's going to be civilians out there who aren't trained like James Bond is. Do you know what I mean? Like, we get that, whether it's a guy or a girl or whatever. But it's it's just boring, isn't it? After all, so many movies of always having a kind of a, a bimboy woman that needs rescued the whole time. Like, say it was once every couple of movies or something, and, like, you got a different civilian, <laughs> like someone who, you know, because... Because imagine I, any of us was with Bond, we would have been shitting our fucking pants as well. Do you know what I mean? We, we would have been needing to be rescued by Bond just as much as she she did. Do you know what I mean? So I kind of, I, I think it's variety. I think that's the thing. It's just, it's kind of boring at this point, isn't it? To just, for effectively seeing the same character over and over and over and over and over again. Just yeah, all, always the same. Yeah, to, to, to sort of follow develop that, Fran, I, I kind of feel that, I didn't really feel that she had much character other than what she did as a profession. And She's I didn't an feel expository like, character. Yeah, it didn't really feel like it matched up from how she behaved and how she kind of like the the the, the heels were used as comic relief. They were it was the it was the joke was that she's on undercover with Bond in the sort of construction yeah. site. Yeah. And it's like obviously, you know, he makes a sort of joke. Women's lib, they're taking over the Teamsters. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. like they're all looking at her with the heels, you know, there's kind of a you know, you can kind of laugh a little at some of the sort of absurdity of that, that choice and sort of things. So it's used for comic effect in that scene, but then in others it doesn't quite work as well and and and, and you sort of wonder did they have to, to, to go that route. Well here's uh, the thing, right? See if the script didn't require her to reveal the geology thing, right? Then she was ide- I mean, basically, if you watched this film and didn't pay attention, you might have just thought she was the heiress to a big fortune of money, because that's what she comes across as. She does not really come across as a state geologist at all, apart from one bit, one very, very contained bit that the script needs to get a bit of exposition out there about what the plan is. Do you know what I mean? So it's it it goes back to what, what's my favourite two words: lazy writing. That's basically the laziest bit of the script. It comes yeah. up in all the films, lazy writing. I, I think what was clever, though, was her and Bond didn't really have a truly romantic relationship, I don't think, till the very end. It was as though Bond, when he um, met her and went to her house, he was kind of expecting something to happen, but she just fell asleep and um, they kind of kept professional. I suppose he was trying to keep cover as a journalist as well. But it was similar to, it's good how every so often Bond doesn't have an immediately romantic relationship with a woman because it's good to mix it up and keep people guessing. It's similar to how 
him and Melina, I think, and for your eyes only, it was like that. It wasn't until later in the film. And Quantum of Solace, um, for the criticism of that film, gets um, Camille, who Olga, I think that's Olga Kurilenko's character. I don't think her and Bond have any romantic relationship. So that was one slight strength, I think. Well, it's weird to that. It's how that alone would freshen things up, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, like I think the Daniel Craig Bond films do it a lot better in the sense that, especially Casino Royale, in the sense that you're likely to fall into bed with someone that you go through a crisis with or some kind of major event. Like, you bond through things. Like, um, it can not it doesn't just have to be, like, spy situation, but, like, sometimes you can bond with someone through a crisis and you can end up, been close with them because of that and I think that's explored a lot better and a lot more detail in the later Bond films whereas in these earlier ones it just seems as if Bond has this it's like he's now the old Lynx adverts where he just puts on the deodorant (laughs) 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 every single woman he ever encounters is going to just sleep with him and it's absurd when you see how old he is in this film and it's uh-huh. and cre- creepy as well when he's sort of like trying to schmooze with people uh, and he's sort of targeting these young women who look about 25 to 28, you know, and it's this nearly 60-year-old man that's trying to kind of hit on them. And there's a, a level of creepiness that that has with it, uh-huh. although he's undercover and stuff, but what you're watching is still a little... Uh, it's a little I mean, it, would be, it, would be, it would be a lot different if, you know, they were the ones hitting on him, which we kind of got, we got a bit of a glimpse of that in the last Bond film. It made it funnier, I suppose. Exactly, yeah. And also, to Gordon's point before I forget, Gordon, you, you're saying that, um, you know, it was good that there was no real straightaway sexual relations or whatever, or even tension from the very beginning with uh, Stacey. But and then it, so it was like at least a bit of a, a, a thing to happen at the end. But he'd already had his end away twice in the film already. So I the know. film. Like, yeah. you know, you know like, like, okay. It was just in well, terms of it making it unpredictable. I, mean, I know. Yeah. Well, I think they, I think they do tend to do that with the one that he ends up with at the end. Like that's the sort of it felt a little formulaic, actually. To be fair. Yeah, I would say as well, and um, because we, I mean, later on we can maybe reflect a bit more in Moore's tenure on the whole. But I love how his very first scene as Bond, his very last scene, he's um in an intimate situation with a woman. So um, in this, he's him and Stacey having a shower together and you get his very last line is Bond is, ooh. And obviously his first ever scene <laughs> was him and and the, the very young girl in, in bed. So that kind of, it kind of summed up um, Moore's Bond really well for me. And Connery's Bond, obviously his whole final film didn't, he didn't kind of end it well. And his, Connery's last words as Bond, I think, was it was something really innocuous, like where we get the diamonds from, or something like that. Um, but Moore's it kind of he bookended his career as Bond uh, quite well at both ends, which will ends, which we will uh, suppose discuss better later on. Yeah, I agree. That is uh, sums him up quite well. Okay, where where do you want to tackle next? We want to tackle the villains. I feel like we've definitely kind of covered. Uh, Christopher Walken, but we'll go into a little more detail then on Max Zorin. Then it was a menacing performance. It's the first villain that you've seen that has, I think, just gotten oozy and killed, mass murdered an entire group of people, isn't it? Killed all those smiling. That was that was. I think that was his highlight. That scene where he's just whipping the oozy around while laughing mm. was just that was that was peak psychopath. I just I was watching that 
mouth wide open going that is what a performance absolutely incredible from uh, yeah. from Christopher Walken on that brilliant brilliant psychopath he was a yeah. genuine yeah, psycho think, yeah and it's one of the first I think I don't know if it's the first time in a film where I've seen someone getting shot or maimed in some way and they're actually being blood splatters because so often particularly in the earlier Bonds people get shot and hit and whatever and there isn't a scratch or an ounce of blood on them but there was actual, I don't know, but this, maybe it was just me that noticed that. But it it seemed a lot more kind of realistic. I actually case. didn't notice that, if I'm honest. Um, it was particularly the bit when he was oozing the, the completely innocent workers and one of them did sort of fall back and had bullet holes and blood splattering out of them. And I, I part of me thought, I don't think I've seen that in Bond. Or it's, it feels so rare to see that in Bond because I'm so used to seeing people get shot and hit and there being no blood or um, obvious injuries. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then there was the, the guy in the office as well when he just shot him at the desk. He had a big yes. hole in his chest. And it well. seemed like he was helping to cover for Zorn as well, so he's, he's not afraid to just get rid of people on a whim. And he even, you know, he threw Mady to the wolves. It seemed like he, him and Mady, that relationship, you saw her kicking his ass at, was it? karate or some kind of martial art and he, in some ways because yeah. he was a psycho she was kind of a bit nuts as well but he was still prepared to just throw her to the wolves at the end he just didn't care well, you know and the key sign loved, i suppose yeah. um i was just gonna say the key sign of a psychopath is lack of empathy and i think that's obviously what christopher walken had in his head was to show absolutely zero empathy to anyone and as you know as you said just throw everyone and anyone to the wolves. There was Mayday, there was the innocent workers, there was the guy at City Hall, there was, yeah, a lot of them. Oh, it was anybody except him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and that's kind of going back to the whole him being produced as a genetic experiment by the Nazis. It kind of goes back to the whole uh, Nazi experiment. So he's produced by some sort of Nazi genetic experiments. You can imagine the Nazis not having much empathy and what their upbringing skills would be, you know, with kids is going to produce people like that. But I go back to the the end of Zorin. He laughed even at his own death. Yeah. He thought yeah. that was funny, you know, and, and that's, he didn't even have empathy for himself in the end when he realised that he wasn't strong enough. Which is, And what I loved as well is, like, he had classic Bond villain touches like, has um, been prepared to just cheat to to win um, to win at sports like with the the racehorse, you know. Yeah. And and I love the way Bonds tried to kind of stoke the flames like he often does with the villains. He, after the incident in the Eiffel Tower when Mady assassinated that um, French detective with the the pretend butterfly, he says, "What about fishing, fly casting?" You know, and you can tell Zorin knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, I love the sort of look, the change in his face at the moments where Bond was trying to try to get a rise out of him. It was yeah. a, a sort of dark look descending on his face really suddenly. I really like that about him. It's a Christopher Walken thing. It's just, he just changes up. Like, he's just, he goes from that sort of charismatic, welcoming you and things like that. And then all of a sudden, he switches to that sort of menacing. It's quite, it's quite creepy. It, it can be quite affecting, and I think it's fantastic for a main villain. And, uh, he's yeah. one of the most convincing Bond villains so far, I think. But he's, he's actually, I agree, capable of making you believe that he's an And I think partly it's because Christopher Walken himself may well be a little bit crazy. Like, I, 
I've always had that feeling about Christopher Walken. I've always had that sense that there's something. I mean, if you look surface. at his his films, he's done a lot of psycho villains. Batman Returns, he plays Max Shrek. He's some very similar character, lack of empathy. Yeah, uh, and it's it's interesting because the likes of the Deer Hunter, which is great, and he plays a kind of weak character in that. So he's again one of these actors that's very versatile. He is. Uh, he became, I think, I think the Deer Hunter was in the seventies. Probably is one of his earlier films, and then he got cast. I don't know what was the first one, if it was the Bond one or what, but I think um, Wayne's World Two. He was the villain. Uh, he was the sort of record studio producer who was like, yes, back. he was. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's sort of like he become he's become known for playing you know, fantastic villains and, you know, rightly so. I think he's great. I really like him. I was always watching him in the scene, usually. Just, I don't know why. It just, I was like realising my attention was always at him. There was always something he was doing that was interesting. Yeah. The dark glasses gave him maybe a a slight kind of um, motif or whatever. I think, yeah. Blonde hair. I think yeah, that too. Yeah, like the hair and makeup and um, costume designers probably could give some credit to. I think the costume designs for the villains were great. His suits as well, they were quite distinctive, as well as, you know, Mayday's outfits were always uh, very distinctive. The first time you saw Mayday, you you noticed her immediately, that big bright red outfit. Um, yeah. yeah, she was dressed fantastically right the way through. She looked the business. Yeah, and it, you know you could see it's it's lavish and things like that, maybe over the top. But again, it's a Bond film in the eighties. This was it was uh, it fitted, it worked really well. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, the um, Ascot scene was really good, and I love the fact that it was like a an MI six day out. They kind of used it for that as well. And quite kind of appropriate. <laughs> why, was, was, why was Money Penny there? I know and, she was uh, she, she was just there for a guy for a laugh. I know. And she uh, was so she was so passionate to see her at, at Ascot um cheering on her horse. It was, you know, like maybe one of us like me at a Rangers game or something like that. She was really getting into it. And then the delight in her face when Bond put um Bond of course, it's just typical of Bond's ingenuity. He knows that a horse is gonna win it and he gives her his winnings. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was nice, nice touch, and especially that was her last scene, I'm guessing. Yeah, so it came in appropriate. It's like all the, um, well, her and Moore and like a couple of the old guard. It was kind of their final film. It was kind of appropriate. There was good. I thought there was good chemistry between Bond and Money Payne. That's maybe better than for the last couple of films. It was a bit. Uh, I agree. Maybe on that. I mean, like if you look back, I think that's her been in every Bond film since Doctor No. So that's what about. Um, yeah, about thirteen or fourteen films and yeah she's i mean I, I really liked samantha bond's money penny from the brosen era but um in particular maybe second best but uh you know she's always the same as i think bernard lee's the m that i immediately think of i think of lois maxwell is money penny yeah no certainly uh one thing before i forget i don't know this isn't really related to what we're talking about there but i loved <laughs> I was laughing at this scene um, because I could see where it was going. You know, that scene when um, uh, Max Zorin is con- trying to convince his business associates um, of his plan. And <laughs> it's another Goldfinger parallel, was, yeah, remember? This is what, yeah, parallel. It was like, you know, does, you know, try to convince them all they have to wait, uh, pay as how much? A hundred million dollars? hundred million each. Yeah. 
and uh, obviously one guy sort of raises a uh, concern and, and he's not going to go along with it. So it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, it's confidential information. So if you want to leave, you know, <laughs> you know, this guy's not got long, long on this, this world. Oh, so funny. It was yeah, just like, yeah, Zorin loved an airship. I'll give him that. <laughs> Uh, what was it? He got thrown out, then you saw him screaming, fall, and then it cut away, and then it cut right back to him, continuing to <laughs> scream and fall after us. A, a long way down from there. Yeah, it was quite, yeah, a, brutal, quite a brutal uh, death for the guy. There were so many iconic, you know, um, images that are conjured up by watching this film. The airships one, like, it's a very... Um, this, you think of that and then you think, like, say, Drax's space station. You think of, um, you think of Stromberg's underwater layer. You think of, I don't know, the volcano you only lived twice. Like that was kind of, in some ways, you could say that was Zorin's signature. You know, it was good. And again, good. I like the dialogue. Um, does anyone else want to drop out? <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. I love that. I loved it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's some fantastic scenes. Some of the action scenes uh, were great. What did you guys think of the the car chase in in San Francisco with the the fire engine and things like that? Uh, I thought that felt a bit dim-witted. That was again that yeah. kind of brought me back to previous films where the police in like, particular have been completely incompetent. Um, I mean, Bond was driving a, a fire truck, which has to be one of the slowest vehicles you can drive, and yet still they were crashing into everything and into each other, um, which obviously culminated in Bond's jumping a uh, lifting bridge in a fire truck it's yeah. it felt a little bit dim-witted another one of those scenes where for some reason bond is managing to maneuver everything perfectly and everybody else is managing to crash into everybody else just for the sake of having crashes and explosions and to have the policeman do a whole kind of girl why you type routine it was it felt it felt a bit strained that i think that particularly particularly considering it followed on from the the city hall scene, the lift shaft scene where Bond and Stacey were trying to escape from that um, that lift, I felt genuine peril there, genuine tension. That was a brilliant scene, and then to have it followed on by that car chase, I thought was a bit a bit of a shame. Yeah, it was like something out of the Blues Brothers that chase. I for me, just delete the whole um, fire engine chase out of the whole film, and you would have the yep. film would look a lot better. It's it's needless. For one thing, Bond shouldn't be taking on the San Francisco police. You know, I, like I thought I thought that whole scene was utter nonsense, to be honest. Just, yeah. just delete that out of the whole film. The guy. <laughs> Fran, what did you think? Yeah, it's just similar to the Beach Boys bit, I suppose. It's kind of... I suppose the good thing about this film is that the bits that are, apart from the character of Stacey, the bits that are bad or, or something... <laughs> Are you could probably cut quite easily, you know. You wouldn't have to do a full readout of the film and change it or whatever. You would just cut a couple of bits out, and it would be it would be mostly fine. With obviously the only bit you'd have to readout is one character, but yeah, it just that sequence to me is extraneous. I think critics probably agreed with this, but the sort of general audience seemed to love this film commercially. It did quite well, and well, I think I it's. Say we don't love it. Oh no! Yeah, 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 I know, but I mean that. That sort of crazy action, I think it probably at the time went down fine. This is coming out around the time of Die Hard and all these kind of films. Um, yeah. Sort of crazy action scenes uh, were 
plot and logic kind of forgot. Well, not that Bond has has always been you know straightforward and things like that and realistic, but it felt out of place. Bond hanging off the side of a speeding fire engine and screaming at his sort of female counterpart to sort of try and slide it one way or the other, and it was it just felt out of place. It felt like I wasn't watching a Bond film anymore. So yeah, yeah, yeah um, totally. That it didn't feel like a Bond film at all. That that's why I was saying I was liking it to the Blues Brothers even. Yeah, fact exactly. that there was almost the same bridge that was in one of the blues for sequences and um, police cars crashing into each other. That detective character, you know, that that's just ridiculous. That he's got no place in a Bond film, and oh. it's the fact as well, you know, Bond after he escapes in the city hall. There's got to be easier ways to to just get the message across that he's working for the government. Then why does he have to turn the hose and the and the cop? I Think know. of all the innocent people that could have get killed in that big whole chase. It's, it's crazy. It's uh, it's just it's at least five minutes wasted in the film. Well, at least yeah. this time there yeah. wasn't a crowd of civilians just watching from the side of the road. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. That's it, true. It, it, yes. it, 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 as dumb as this film got, it still wasn't diamonds are forever dumb. Like I think there was the bar had been set so low that it hadn't it didn't go down that far. And then you know you would have Max Zorin appear, and the film would. Grad, you know, go straight back up again to to be a good fun romp. Is there anything else before we uh, get to the rating on this one that you guys have wanted want to discuss? I think Ken Adams' set work, particularly that mine, that, which that reminded me so much of was it Ken Adams? I don't think I think he was done with the films at this point, but I know why oh, you would think that. Enough. I think um, it was that Peter that Lombard, reminded me so much of yeah, I, I, the Volcano. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Uh, they were totally going for that. And it was good to see that because it feels like it's been a good few films since we've had, I suppose, since, what, was it Moonraker was Ken Adams' last one? Um, so I, I, can, I can see why you, you thought that, Steve, because to me, that's exactly what they were going for. And it, it was great. And the shot, they set the, the sort of cinematographer, they, they got that shot where it's just the, the, the shaft and it's like sitting there to let you sort of take it all in you know how epic that that set was, it was, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah I just realised oh. no, just how you could cut that you could cut that section talking about the shaft and taking how epic it all is and has one of the greatest kind of outtakes ever <laughs> <laughs> we we need to have a big age are you Fran God's sake <laughs> we'll, yeah, if we get spare time a big outtakes compilation because we but certainly by the time we got to the end all these podcasts will be a lot of material there yeah, it's, most, it's mostly me second on epic film. that's what it is it's mostly <laughs> mostly me being confused I'm looking forward to editing last week's one uh, where you're talking about a completely different film actually let's talk about that scene then Gogol uh, yeah. give the, the medal the Lenin, what was it? The Lenin Order of Lenin. Yeah. Order of Lenin. Highest order that the KGB gives out for, because I presume that they they thought Bond was dead. Then that was why they've given him a posthumous. Yeah, why they given him a posthumous medal. Well, I th- uh, yeah, I think the presumption was that he had died, but obviously, Gogol underestimated him. He's not dead. He's just going to transform into a different looking man in the next film. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that's going to happen. So Gogol should know that by now, that Bond is just like Doctor Who, actually, in the sense that he just regenerates into a new yeah. form. Younger model. Yeah. I did like Gogol in this scene. I could see why you guys were, were talking about it previously. I hadn't really sort of given it much thought, but there was something very likeable about him. And what about that bit in the car where he plays the tape and he's sort of just looks over at Pola. Like he's got this kind of, like he's like looking over and then he's like, Looking all around the car is kind of ridiculous. It's kind of it's quite comedic, but it's played properly. 
Mm-hmm. That was a comedy moment I thought that actually worked, actually, yeah. There's good scenes with Q as well, sorry. I was going to say it was more, more fleeting than previous films, but his, uh, he does have a few <clears throat> uh, devices that, that help Bond. I like the little ring that takes photos from Bond's at Zorin's chateau, and he uses them for surveillance, and he's able to therefore gather intel about these people, which ultimately, will, I think, will help him to stop Zorin's plot. And also, he's this little credit card which he uses when he, he essentially breaks into Stacey's house before he meets her and pro, you know properly and uh, it kind of I don't know if it sort of undoes this does the seals of the windows of the burglar alarm but yeah um, and the, it, I like Q at the end. I thought Q was kind of shoehorned in slightly because he was there at the start obviously in the the minister's office with his uh, security robot dog thing that looked like K9 from uh, Doctor Who and then he appeared at the end with that spy device which was only there to do the whole spying on bonds with the woman in the yeah. shower at the very end of the film so it, yeah. it felt as though he'd been shoehorned into the start of the film to give them the setup to the ending of the film which I thought was slightly a slightly disappointing use of such a, a great otherwise great character Maybe that was just yeah. Me. yeah. Especially after the last film, because he really got a good, a good yeah screen time in the last one. There was one little subtle moment which I, I'd never noticed before, even though I've seen this film many times, which made me smile. Seeing when Bond has his usual briefing meeting with, so Q's there, M's there, the Minister of Defence, right at the start of the film, and Q's got the little snooper devices new pit Q and but what I love is Q's kind of a bit annoyed at him been disparaging about his gadget and Q actually lifts it up and before Bond can sit down in a nice comfy seat he plonks his um, little snooper device carefully on the seat so Bond can't sit there it's as if saying you've a disrespect for all my field equipment for all the years so I'm disrespecting you I I just noticed it for the first time it's good Fantastic! Yeah, I never noticed that. <laughs> um, there was uh, I was I meant to talk about the pacing of the film. There was something I noticed about twenty minutes in. It felt like a very fast-paced film from the way it was edited. I, I quite enjoyed that. It felt like scenes moved very quickly, but not in a way that it was hard to follow. But maybe it was almost because if you lingered on Roger Moore's face for too long, maybe you would have noticed how old he looked and maybe that was the reason for it. But there was a kind of feeling of the film was moving at brisk pace and it kept it interesting. There was energy to the film, especially in the first third of the film. It maybe slowed down a little in the middle section. Yeah, the one other thing I, I think that I've, I've had in my notes around that I was going to point out, we've spoken before about um, criminal lairs and some of the sort of ridiculous things that they had made. Um, and when they got, when Bond and Stacey got into the mine and discovered um, Zorin's plan in the form of a sort of specially carved out LED map, which had <laughs> sort of lights showing the, the different rigs and the lines through which they the um, sort of water would go to create the explosion and i just had one of those kind of looking at it and thinking who who constructed that how did he why did he get that made this massive sort of flashing led map in which to to show off his plan yeah exactly uh, it was another one of those moments that made me think yeah that was a that's a quite a bit of pre-psychopathic preparation again it's a it's a feeling of goldfinger isn't it the, the sort of goldfinger room that we spoke about in the, the early podcast yes uh, has that that meeting with all those those mobsters i know and it's essentially a, a room an area to kill them all uh, after he's explained this 
highly elaborate plan. The room At times, Zorin is actually quite hands-on as well as a villain. Like he, he shows up at City Hall and all that, and he's made. Made seems to do all kinds of odd jobs. There's a bit when when Tippett's posing as Bond's butler when he's using this alias. He, he tries to sneak out. I think it's to contact MI6, and she's waiting basically acting as a security guard. I mean, she does Manning all kinds of stuff. Yeah, she's man the gate. She was a funny one because uh, she seemed really bitter and angry that Zorin would betray her. You know, she did that line where she said to Bond when they're trying to escape, she said, that creep, can't believe, I thought he loved me or whatever. But it's like, well, this is the same guy that kind of forced you to sleep with Roger Moore earlier on the film. Like, it's sort of, you, you know, like, it's... Is this it's really strange the- that. Yeah, because um, he... Um, he could hear Bond through the doorway going, to take care of me personally. And so clear what Bond was up to. And he just kind of nodded and urged her to go in. I thought that was kind yeah, of I mean, weird. But that's maybe got, to show his yeah. kind of psychotic tendencies. He's got like, control not, over her, yeah. Yeah. And also that she didn't mean anything to him. Like that, That's essentially what it comes down to, doesn't it? I guess. Yeah. Well, there was a sense of that again during the martial arts scene where she was obviously beating the crap out of him, but then he kind of climbed on top and was kind of really forcing himself down onto her. She physically probably could have taken him off, but I reckon there was probably a, a power play down that she was she was scared of him um, in terms of who he was and kind of probably let her, sorry, let she probably let Zogan sort of take control of her. She could have physically fought him off, but didn't. And I think that was another another example of similar to that bedroom scene where it was a, a sort of mental sort of she was scared of him effectively. Yeah. Well, yeah. psychopaths use sex as a you know they can use sex and intimacy as a kind of a controlling tool over a person. You know, like Bond does. Yeah, I mean Bond. <laughs> Bond, yeah. Bond is a psychopath. There's no doubt about that. He, he is. You know, I mean, he is a mad guy. I mean, he's, he's a killer, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, you had you yeah. have to be a psychopath. It's just that. It's just that he's a British psychopath who who's a particular class and society who works for a particular team, you know, so he's got the polite veneer, but, you know, let's think about if we were to do a kill count to the amount of people Bond has actually murdered across all of these films. It'd be in the thousands, probably. And I, I think mean, once you get to the Brosnan era, it really ramps up quite a bit, because people, not to divert too much onto Brosnan, but a lot of people criticise um, his Bond for being to maybe too silly or too over the top. He had the biggest kill count out of every Bond actor, I think. Yeah, probably. I mean, they turned into gung-ho action films at that point. They weren't really spy films anymore, were they? Um, on Mayday, before I forget, actually, there was actually some tension between uh, behind the scenes between Roger Moore and Mayday. Gordon, I don't know, you probably know this. I always thought it was something they, they didn't get on as, as personalities, but I think it was actually on the scenes of doing sort of the love scene when Roger Moore's waiting for her in bed. <laughs> we spoke you mean, about um, I think she showed up with us, just caught a, some sort of device as a joke. Yeah. But even before that, he, they um, they started getting he get pissed off with her because while they were waiting for the crews to set up, she would be in. I don't know if, where she was, if it was in our trailer or what, and it was maybe next to his, but she would be playing like heavy rock, heavy like 80s rock metal or whatever. And obviously he just didn't like it. And it, it was so loud that he said that he couldn't sleep or whatever and things like that. 
so he would start to get really annoyed. And on the day they were meant to be doing a love scene, so there's meant to be some intimacy and things like that. You know, as an actor, he was starting to get kind of pissed off because it was maybe going to affect his performance. And he didn't feel like it was going to help the scene. So he actually, as she was playing this music, stormed into her dressing room or whatever and like grabbed, I don't know if it was the stereo or something. And I think he smashed it or something like that. He threw something against the wall oh. and it apparently it still got a dent in the wall or whatever from when it happened and sort of stormed out. Um, so then I think the and she came in with this, yeah, a sex toy into the bed. And I don't know if he was particularly amused by it. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a kind of like a riff, but it, it, I think it lasted only for that. And then, because she wrote some nice things about him uh, when after he died. So I don't think there was any, you know, I think they still respected each other and things like that. I was just going to quickly add that yeah. I, I really enjoyed Grace Jones' performance as Mary. She was dangerous. She was combative. She was slightly outrageous in her, her style. She was a killer. She killed several people in the film. And but I love, um, she was um, she. I love how at the end, not only did she switch sides, but she could have saved her own life and jumped off the the mine. But I think the only way for the bomb to explode out of with the mine and stop the fault line from being um, kind of expanded was for her to hold the brake on. She was prepared to do it just to screw over Zorin. That was a brilliant death. See, the key thing was that Bond and Mady removed the actual bomb from the bit at the bottom of the mine where there was tons of, I think it was dynamite, which would have enhanced the explosion, made it huge. Because they removed the actual, well, the detonator, it was just a small-scale explosion. So I think maybe the fact it was shown briefly was to show it was a drop in the ocean compared to what Zorin wanted. Yeah, true. Okay, uh, if there's nothing else you guys want to discuss, we'll move on to the rating. Fran, you want to start with this one? Um, I think I'm going to go for another four out of five for this one because I think we've kind of clearly identified there's a couple of things. There's two... Well, two kind of scenes that could be trimmed away that would help <clears throat> the weakness of the writing for Stacey's character, really. But apart from that, I was satisfied with it. Yeah. I, mean, I think it loses a star for those reasons and those reasons alone. I mean, I think if Stacey had been a more believable or more innovative character and if the silly scenes had been gone, it might well have been a five star. Okay. Steve? I agree. I'm giving it a four out of five. I didn't like Stacey's, the way Stacey's character was written particularly. I didn't like that police chase. And I didn't like the Beach Boys in the introduction and the way that a few parts felt a bit repeated, the the skiing and the, the parachute jump again. But beyond those little niggles, it was a brilliant film. It was a tight story. It had me gripped. There was some real peril. Like I said, the, the lift shaft fire and the scene at the end on Golden Gate Bridge had me had me gripping the sofa, had me hooked. Um, it was really well done. It looked great. The the villains were just brilliant. Christopher Walken, Grace Dent, just cool, I think is the word. Just utterly brilliant. Um, there just isn't a huge amount to take away from this. And it was fun. It was it was it also went back, it didn't rely too heavily on the the guns and gadgets and explosions. It had some proper actual actual sleuthing, you know, with a creeping around City Hall looking for you know that's old school journalism almost rather than uh rather than just spying but it was there's there's not a lot to take away from this so um i'm also giving it a quite happy four out of five yeah 
Uh, I would agree on that. Uh, before we come to Gordon, I'll say I, I, I would give it a, it's a low four for me, but it just gets the four. I was considering three and a half, um, but you know what? I just had, I had fun with this and I think that's what, that helps when you've got villain. A, a, a fantastic villain really brings the film up. For me, I think for me, that's where things like For Your Eyes Only were slightly uh, less impactful because I don't think you had a villain like a Max Soren and maybe two fantastic villains in the one film, not to mention the sort of other couple of henchmen they had, um, the evil cues we've dubbed them, things like that, which I really enjoyed. Um so for me, the villains really brought this up. But at the same time, you had a, a gripping story, um, albeit some of it very familiar. The, the Goldfinger comparison certainly um, evident. Uh, the beginning sequence with the skiing, as you said, unnecessary inclusion of the Beach Boys. Yeah, and a decent, a decent soundtrack with Duran Duran and the way that John Barry used the main motif throughout the film. I, I really enjoyed that as well. Uh, it was, I've still got it in my head, actually, as we've been talking. Um, and a Roger Moore, certainly everyone can agree, looking older than he really, he should, he probably shouldn't have done the film in a sense. But at the same time, I'm glad that he went out on such a high. So maybe I don't want that as well. He just looked a little, you know, I wish that maybe they had addressed it in a way that they maybe didn't have him sleeping around with so many women, especially ones that looked younger. Maybe that they should have tried to cast uh, younger, uh, older or something, maybe to try and ease that issue. But you know, still enjoyed the film, and yeah, it's a four stars for me. And also, it's a shame that I've read that Roger Moore didn't actually like this film as much. This is his least favorite one. He uh, realized his uh, age gap was an issue when I think one of the co-stars, his her mother, was younger than him. I think that's when he realized, oh God, I'm really, I'm really too old for this. But I think he also mentioned I read that he didn't approve her so much. Uh, didn't find it's fitting that. Zorin would shoot all these characters like a villain that just massacres people. I think he felt it wasn't Bond-like. But anyways, I would have to disagree. I think Zorin and and, and Walken were fantastic. Uh, Gordon, you can give the final verdicts. What's your verdict on this one? Yeah, it's one of these films, again, I think there's something missing, which is not quite a four to me, which may surprise you. I would go with definitely 3.5. There's, there's maybe too many elements and scenes that take me out of the movie like the fire truck sequence is a bit of a disaster for me but I mean I'll go over the the good points first I really I find the first third of the film really endearing I love Bond doing sneaky covert spy work the way at night him and Tibbet um find the secret lab in Zorin's chateau and just his ingenuity his wits he uses the tape recorder to imitate him still being in his hotel room, snoring, the slag of Tivin and all that. And um, I love also when, as in other Bond films, Zorin presumes he's dead and he kind of slips under the radar and comes back. Like, they don't expect Bond to come back. I thought Zorin and Mayday were brilliant. Um, Christopher Walken Zorin is just, he's a genuine psycho. This test tube baby, essentially, and he's got that kind of, maybe you could say even like this kind of Aryan look, if you go back to the fact he was he kind of was conceived in the concentration camps. And there's just, there's an element of danger throughout the film, which I really enjoy. It's similar to what you get in, say, like Moonraker and Goldfinger, especially the first third. And well, well there's bits in the middle of the film that sort of bring it down a little bit. And then there's that amazing climax at the end, and there's, there's great dialogue. So again, yeah, I'll return to the, the, 
um, fire truck chase, which I, I just I just hate that scene with a vengeance. And for me, if you just took that out of the film and maybe replaced it with something else, added a bit more to the 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 plot. Um, I'll, as far as Stacy goes, yeah, um, again, um, not the strongest supporting female character as well um i really i still really like roger moore and, and i'm glad you guys like me see the bigger picture and don't jump in the media oh roger's too old you know is some classic scenes in this film and i think he's enjoying playing the role and he still seems like uh he's still his charming best i feel one thing i would say like since moonraker i've been getting this feel of Bond becoming a bit of a softy and it kind of, for your eyes only, it kind of went up a bit and he became a bit colder and more ruthless than that. But since Moonraker, I don't know. It's, it's like, I know I went on in Octopussy, the, the dialogue of Kamal Khan at the table. He's like, um, he's, he's speech about thumb screws and hot coals. And I just feel like since then, he was, even from that interview to Kill, he's, he's getting further and further away from the, the coldness and the darkness of, say, like Connery's earlier incarnation of the character and you think of Dalton who will go on to soon and then Craig the present day and so I'm kind of excited now to get on to Dalton who I really who I think is really underrated as um, a Bond actor but yeah but on the whole I, I love George Moore in this I don't buy into all this um, he should never have done this film it's it's a it's a great film it's entertaining there's a lot of real iconic moments for me yeah I think what they should have done, as, as as I said in my summary, is they should have cast maybe the females uh, older to try and not make it as creepy. That's the issue mainly for me is the creep factor that comes in when he is trying to hit on these young 20-somethings and he is 40 years older than them nearly. So it's just an element. That's, that's maybe how they should have handled it. But I don't think he shouldn't not have done the film absolutely not I'm happy he did this I think I preferred this film over Octopussy so that's that would be my take on it that's how they, they should have maybe solved that everyone must have known this was going to be the last Roger Moore film there was no way that he was going to do another one and I would say this was a, was a good way to end much better than Sean Connery's final film by a long shot so yeah we've more or less finished on this film then uh, Gordon you want to is there more you want to Talk about on Roger Moore as his as his full sort of review of his tenure as Bond. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to ask each of you guys how you reflect on his his tenure. That's I think seven films, so the longest serving out of all the Bond actors. We assume Daniel Craig's not going to do seven films in the end. And for me, I would say I do feel, and sir, depends when you ask me. Right now, I feel as though he's my favourite Bond. I was always a a Sean Connery man, but Moore's charm his charisma he did his own version of bond which i completely respect and he's so many classic moments he seems i've said it before he's in he sails through so many scenes he seems so nonchalant but there's times he doesn't get the credit he deserves where he can have a harder edge and i just thought he i just enjoy his films so much they're Every so often, I'm going to put them on. I'm going to watch each of his films at least once a year. That's he's he's such a great impression on me, even when I was a kid. And yeah, I I mean I enjoy each of the Bond actors. They've all got their own real strengths. Yeah, so I was just going to see how how do you guys reflect on on Moore? Steve, what's your thoughts? What's 
I I've really enjoyed the movie. I'm just looking back over the previous sort of ratings I've given to uh, to Moore's films compared to to Connery's and whatnot, and they have they've all generally rated higher. Um, I think he's definitely he's definitely his own Bond. You're absolutely right in that he was the slightly more I would hesitate to use the words comedic as such, but he definitely played a slightly lighter Bond than. Tongue in cheek is probably the the way to put it, yeah. And I imagine certainly more um, sort of humorous, if you like, than than at least my memory of Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, and I'm pretty sure that's what we'll see. Um, so he he took the character and made it his own, absolutely. And I can see why people think he is sort of the best Bond of them all, or the the sort of the go to um, top Bond. Um, but I've, I've very little to criticise him. He has he's put the effort into every performance, including his last one, which, as you pointed out, is more than we can say for Connery, who kind of phoned it in in his last film. So I'm quite pleased with the way that he, he came in with a bang, he went out with a bang, and he's 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 he was yes, he was a bit old towards the end, but he put a shift in. Yeah. Um, he he absolutely did it. So yeah, um, I've I've really enjoyed our our time with Roger. Fran, I know you're Roger Moore's probably one of your favourites. Uh, You've said that before in the very first podcast. Having watched the films now, do you still still agree on that? Yeah, I'd say so. I I think it's I don't know. I, I think it's one of those things where when someone does something for a very long time, you can become you get quite used to them. So he's done he's done what seven films? Is it? So yeah, yeah. It, it's a good long stretch. I think. I have a fondness for for Roger Moore's portrayal of Bond. I like the fact. I like. I think it's similar to the way that you have a fondness for kind of your older relatives. Like when you're younger, you have fondness for your grandparents and like some of the funny things they say and do. And your parents, like as you get older, like you know, like dad jokes and and kind of things like that. There's a sort of a harmlessness to it. A, a kind of a, a comforting familiarity, shall we say. To, to Roger Moore, and I think that comes across um, as much as we're talking about Bond being a psychopath and all that kind of thing. There's there's an element of there's just something warm about the Moody. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for me, Moore didn't do any stinkers in the Bond films the way that Sean Connery. For me, with Diamonds Are Forever, I don't know if that's you know if Bond all the Bond fans would agree that that film. We we certainly felt. That was the lowest point for the the series so far. Uh, Moore didn't hit that. I think Man with the Golden Gun is probably the closest. But again, it was still a three-star film overall average, I think, because of you had Scaramanga um, and and Moore was fine in the film. You know, I would say his his high was higher than Goldfinger. I think Spy Who Loved Me was was slightly better than it. And so his his high is, is higher than the Sean Connery films. For me, the early Sean Connery films, I have a soft spot for because you have to give credit to what they started. Those first two films and, and in Goldfinger especially. They they you know the from the casting and everything, the tone, everything, those films need to get that respect. But they're also fun films to watch. But Roger Moore uh, his performance, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. It is it, it has been funny and it, they've They've worked the films for him around his style. I think they learned after maybe not, they didn't have to learn it, but they, they started really kind of, they changed the style of the films. They became comedies a little, maybe a little too much at points, but then that's why I love me. They got the balance completely right. And uh, I would say they've more or less kept that, that up. 
So, yeah, uh, this is going to be interesting. We're moving on to another Bond, Timothy Dalton. Only, unfortunately, got two films. But those films are generally seen as, as high high points in the entire franchise. So it'll be interesting for us to to, to look at them. It's been a long time since I've seen both films. Oh, uh, the Living Taylor. Yeah, and License I'm, to Kill. I'm so stoked that I'm ready for Timmy D. I think that's been a while. <laughs> you know, I've I've said endlessly how much I love License to Kill. It's a really, really high point in season. Living the Living Daylights as well. It's got so much classic stuff. I, I'm so excited. I'm I'm sad to say goodbye to to Rog, but I'm really, really looking forward to the Living Daylights. Yeah. Before we say goodbye to Rog, I think we have to introduce the section we had a good few podcasts ago. Uh, you, you all know it's coming. It was coming. <laughs> <laughs> the impression segment is back. We don't have any catchy music for it, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so let's uh, let's see if we can do our best Roger Moore impression. Who wants to go first and get it over with? Go on, let's get it over and done with. <laughs> right, right, Steve, choose which film, and I'll, I'll try and find it for you. Uh, let's go for um, let's go for something from Spy Who Loved Me. One right. of the classics. <laughs> oh man, there's so many. Right, okay. Uh, uh, you got the you got the long one the last time, Steve. So I'll give you a nice short one. Cool. Oh well, there's a line that um, Anya the the says to him, "What happened to Kalba?" And then James Bond's line is, "He was cut off permanently." I don't know if that... I'll give that a shot. I'll give right. that a shot. Right. Do you want to cue me in? Okay. So you've only got five words, so that's not too bad. Uh, so what happened to, Ka- to what happened to Kalba? He was cut off permanently. <laughs> oh, I can't. That, that was awful. <laughs> it, uh, it came well, out far too Sean Connery, but uh, I gave it a uh, shot. Yeah, exactly. Fran, good. you wanna you wanna do one? Or it's gonna be octopusy. Yeah, of course. I can I can do one for you right now. All right, you can do that, and then I'll still find you one, though. It's like sexual discrimination. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he's told, that it's only women on the island. Yeah. Sexual discrimination. This might be too long, actually, I think, this one. Uh, What is it? It doesn't matter a damn to you, I suppose, that thousands of innocent people will be killed in that accident of yours. Doesn't matter a damn to you, I suppose, that thousands of innocent people will be killed in that accident of yours. <laughs> Is that? There's a comedian that reminded me of, and I can't right, remember his name. Do you know what I loved about that last scene? Because that's when he conf- the only time Bond confronts Orlov. You know how Orlov is has this kind of angry persona? It's like 007's talking to him in a kind of angry way, like putting him in his place. I like that. I'll give you one more, Fran. Right. I'll just give you a short one. Forgive my curiosity, but what is that? And then the line she says after it's that's my little octopusy. Right, so Forgive my yep. curiosity, but what is that? <laughs> right, okay. Right, Gordon. Julian what? Cleary, that's who I'm thinking of. <laughs> Gordon? Yep. Uh there's a few classics in Living Like Die, I think. Let's go for that. Yeah. Da da da. Mr. Big's got some good lines in that. I know. I could do Mr. Big. Take that hunk out and waste them now. So, 
I'll give you two different ones. They're both short. So the first one is uh, same time tomorrow, Mrs. Bell. Oh, yeah, I did that one before. Same time tomorrow, Mrs. Bell. And the other one is sheer magnetism, darling. Sheer magnetism, darling. (laughs) Uh, is the master, undisputed. And then the other one, he loves his darling in this film. Just being disarming, darling. Just being disarming, darling. <laughs> That's that was not bad. I think that that'd be a good album name, Just Being Disarming, Darling. I should uh, get Andy as an introduction to our podcast. He does such a incredibly realistic impersonation of Knickknack. Really? Visualize. Right, okay, Gordon, pick uh pick a film for me then out of the other ones that are still to be done. In fact, you pick- I, I think you're a Moonraker man. Let's right, okay. give us one you, from Moonraker. Well, you you pick a line for me then. All right. Um, let me think. Let's have. Um, I'll look it up as well. Ah, here's one. Here's one. Um, at the end, just before Drax dies, he says to Bond, he goes, "Desolated, Mister Bond," and he replies, he shoots the little dart and he says, "Heartbroken, Mister Drax." Okay, so, so I'll, I'll cue you in, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Desolated, Mister Bond. Heartbroken, Mr. Drax. Oh, you, you nailed it, mate. You got oh, the that was good. That was, that was good on. stuff. We should, uh, we should give you give a few it. more. Yeah, give me <laughs> a few more. Go, so. <laughs> I'll give you one more, right? I'll give you one more from that film. Um, I can see one a little premature, isn't it? Yeah, say that. Say that one. A little premature, isn't it? <laughs> That's good. Your ears are brilliant. Uh, it's the it's the sort of like he fluctuates between a kind of like oh like a, I think it's time to go home. It's <laughs> you're get you're getting the tone right. It's good, man. I, I, honestly, I've really loved doing Roger these seven films, and we've actually got through a few quite quickly. But Dalton is such an underrated Bond, and again, it's the change in tone and direction. That... It's a shame he needed that at least one more film to cement a legacy that. Yeah. yeah, but uh, he's still obviously respected, I think. But it, it never he needed that other one more film, maybe a few more films. Um, but the legal troubles, I think, around the, the the studio and things like that, kind of stopped it, didn't it? And the interesting thing is, that Loving Daylights was kind of written for Brosnan. I suppose we can get onto that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys, it's been fun. Uh, I better go. And Fran has got to go. How long have you got left before your time runs out? About three minutes. All right. Is that the same three minutes that Bond gave <laughs> Trevelyan, by the way? Yeah. So really, really, Fran, you're leaving in six minutes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. We will be back. The Thank Bond Daft podcast will return for The Living Daylights. Thank you. Bye-bye. And bye smashing yeah. the fucking iPad. <laughs> All these threats, but you can't actually get to someone's house to kill them until the pandemic's over. Well, they'd be annoyed because the gangsters would be like, "All our enemies would just be killed by some stupid virus." You know? <laughs>
Yeah. It doesn't even care about us. We yeah, want the virus will get them first. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody ever thinks of the gangsters to tell you that. How do you kill something that's not alive? That's the problem. <laughs> like, what, what do you do? Do you form like a, a, a group against the virus or something? 